What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by old friend of the Ringer, Jonathan Sharks. Jonathan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm good. Thanks for being here, man. How uh, how are things on uh, on your end at the where the kids say the fake University of Texas, the fake UT? I'm at the real UT. You went to the fake UT. How are things on that side of the, the country? We just say we just say UT because everybody knows what we're talking about. No, they don't. This they assume real, Knoxville. This, this fake real business. <laughs> or I guess to put it another way, the part of the world where I, I'm at, I'm not too worried about. We all know what we're talking about. But y'all doing y'all up in Appalachia? I mm. can't even. <laughs> we both are basically basketball schools now. Is that the case? Are we both officially basketball? Hey, schools? Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes is out here planning programs left and right. Who? <laughs> yeah, and uh, Shaka Smart uh, finally turning the corner at Texas. Um, what do you make of Shaka Smart? Uh, Shaka Smart's hair now. Like, do you like the the grown out hair? I, I think he needed to change. He okay. needed like. Cause you know, like you have these pictures of oh, this is me in this season of my life, right? Like this is me in my twenties. This is me in college. Mm-hmm. And Shaka was like VCU Shaka, and now we have Texas Shaka, right? It symbolizes the change in mm. his career. We'll go with that. How excited are you for Sarkmania in Austin? Oh, oh man! You know, I always get very excited. I was excited for uh, Charlie Charlie Strong. I was excited for Tom Herman. So I'm excited for Stark, but I'm, I'll try to be somewhat reasonable and say, who knows? Because I'm always optimistic, usually to my detriment. I mean, for UT, the other UT knows about that too, football coaching. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it, it, you should be a little bit more optimistic than, uh, than the Knoxville football team. However, we are more in the news right now than the Austin I got to say, how can you all be so bad cheating that recklessly? That's I don't know. Of- that's what I, that's what we're all talking about. That's what I'm talking about. My text threads with family and friends. Like, not only are we cheating, we're just cheating really badly, and it, it did not show up on the field. Um, yeah, it's it's the best of both worlds in college sports. You, you love it. I'm having a great time, Jonathan. A Saban disciple would have a little more professionalism to his. You know, there's a whole there's a system for these things. Mm-hmm. That's not what a bad man is. What they're doing up there. Well, you'll be familiar with it now with uh, Sarkeesian in Austin. You'll get to experience this firsthand. No, we, we're we're plenty of familiar with Bagman. Don't worry about <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Um, well, don't forget, folks. You can listen to Jonathan on the Ringer NBA show every week. You can listen to this show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five star rating and review. Um, it actually keeps Jonathan's son asleep if he knows he sleeps well if he knows that uh, the Chase Thomas podcast is getting five star ratings and reviews for. Uh, his dad appearing on the show. I think that is actually how that works, correct? This is true. Yeah, I guess for the listeners, I'm actually on daycare duty today. My son's currently sleeping, so 
possibly halfway through, I might have to go change a diaper. We'll see. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Um, Luka Doncic. Um, he's already had the game of the year against Jokic in that uh, Nuggets-Mavs game from a few weeks back. Um, playing himself into shape, seems like Chris Daps is back. Give me your your current state of the Dallas Mavericks. I just think that it's very much under construction because of what the way the season's played out. It's really it's hard to say because Chris Tapps comes back and then they lose like half their team for COVID. Mm-hmm. I think they've had their full roster for maybe one game. So it's right now it's they change your team a lot from last season and everyone in Dallas is kind of freaking out, but it's like you gotta at least let this thing play out. See if the plan's gonna work. Because right now we just haven't seen the plan in motion. What is the plan? What do you think the plan in motion actually is then if they have it, everybody at full strength? Well, the plan was, so they, I think it's it symbolized pretty well by the Seth Curry for Josh Richardson trade. The plan was we're going to get much bigger and more athletic on the perimeter. In return, we're going to swap out some of our shooting, right? So last year, the Mavs had number one offense of all time by efficiency rating. And you can quibble with what that really means, but they did have an amazing offense. That's pretty clear. And they said, we're going to like, we're going to take a step back on offense and try to improve on defense. So right you know the classic three and D thing, we're going to get more guys who can defend and kind of shoot threes as opposed to guys who can shoot threes and kind of defend. And that's, I mean, I think logically around Luca, it kind of makes sense to go with that model. So they're, they've got, a, they got, they should be, when at full strength, they should go Richardson six foot six, Hardaway six foot seven, Luca six foot seven, Penny Smith six foot eight, KP seven foot two. Should be one of the biggest teams in the league. And you hope they'll have enough shooting to make it work still. And that was the problem to start of the season. Not having KP with this version of the team, it was more difficult because they had fewer shooters. So hopefully you get KP going, get your defenders going, Luca's in shape. And this team starts rolling at some point when they're all healthy. Is that what you think is going to happen ultimately? I like the plan. I thought it was the right thing to do. We'll mm. see how it works out. Obviously. What is Luca looking like in the last couple of weeks? Are, are you, did you were you one of the people who thought that he really was out of shape and that he was not all the way there, and now he's he's back to full preseason MVP hype, Luca? It's hard to say because he never really looks like he's in shape. You know, yeah. It's, it's kind of like it's like um it's like what does is mean really right it's all how you want to define it luca's not exactly a chisel guy (laughs) he had the thing last off season where i'm gonna post all these workout videos i'm gonna come in the season in shape but also the team looked better around him i think it's all it all plays together what really hurt the mavs the start of the season is they were starting dwight powell coming off the achilles injury so the team just had no athleticism up front. And Luca, you know, it's nice to have a lob guy. So Collie Steins played a lot more. James Johnson. I mean, it's all kind of working in tandem. But Luca is getting in bed. I mean, it's pretty clear he was he was not in the best of shape at the start of the season. Even he even admitted it. Are you concerned with the construction around Luca and KP and like the like when you look at the box scores for some of these Mavs games, I'm just like, who who is that? Like, I don't even understand who this person is filling in for Tim Hardaway, who's out with a groin thing. Like, I I am amazed at some of these box scores that the Mavs are throwing out because it's interesting that the Luca Trey argument that was going on the last couple of years was that Trey had a much worse supporting cast than uh, Luca. That is no longer the case. 
the uh, the paradigm has shifted and um the the people and pieces around trey is vastly different than the pieces around luca correct well yeah uh no i don't know about that actually okay i mean can we have the Mavs? so they lost richardson finney smith and brunson that's three of your top eight players like not many teams can really have are going to the 10th 11th 12th man i mean you're seeing in atlanta this year right the Mavs are playing a lot of Wesa Windu, a lot of Josh Green. Hawks are playing a lot of Brandon Goodwin, a lot of Nathan Knight. It's just not going to look great. With, when you have half your team out with COVID, it's just not going to look great. So I'm not too worried about it. No. Um, you wrote about Lonzo Ball and the Pelicans uh, today. What, um, what are you thinking about Lonzo in the 5-8 and eight Pelicans at the moment? Well, I mean, I think we all kind of expected that the lack of shooting would be a problem, and it is a problem, right? Like, just logically, Adam, Zion, Ingram, Lonzo, Bledsoe, right? I mean, it doesn't even take, okay, how is the team going to space the floor and they can't? The Jazz, and it's just, it's tough with Lonzo. It's funny how that works. Like, even though he had a good shooting year last year, teams don't really respect his shot. So he, they're just giving it to him. So last time the Jazz game, they're leaving him wide open, giving him the Tony Allen treatment. He's 0 for 6. And what's tough with Lonzo, he's not a very aggressive offensive player anyways. So all he's doing is taking threes and bricking them. So it's just really hard for him to impact winning right now. And it seems like the mix of the team is just off. And I'm not even – I think they'll have to make a move pretty soon if it's either benching Lonzo or benching Bledsoe in the next week or two, would be my guess. It's one of those where it was like – I remember – in my preseason notes and just thinking about this, I don't know if you and I talked about it, but like Bledsoe and Lonzo and today's, like that was never going to work. That was never something yeah, that made sense. Like we all knew yeah. it was just, we were scared to say it. Cause it was like, Oh, Brandon Ingram and Zion and Stan Van Gundy and David Griffin and the, the great Tracy man. And I'm like, this is still not going to work. Like you cannot play these two as your lead guards. And I guess it's one of those things where like politically, you probably had to do it this way, right? You couldn't start the season benching, you know, Bledsoe coming off starting for a elite team, benching Luke benching Alonzo, number two overall pick. And we'll see. Like then then it's just do their younger guards can they play better. Nikhil Alexander Walker. He's had a I don't know if you saw this, but he had thirty seven points against the Clippers. And it was just like it was just striking putting him in the spot where Lonzo is. And it was like, oh yeah, when you're playing with Zion and Ingram it should be pretty easy to score because teams are overloading on those guys. Mm-hmm. You're getting open shots. You're getting easy drives to the lane. It should not be as difficult to score the ball if you have any kind of offensive game. But it was always going to be cramped, right? Like it was just like with the the floor spacing was always going to be cramped because until Zion is ready to play the five in extended minutes, like I I do think it's always going to be a little tight in what they have there. Um for sure. For do do sure. you think that there is like an easy path to like it, adjust this lineup with the roster they have, or do you think they have to move Alonzo or somebody else to really clear some stuff up for Zion and Ingram? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me long term if it's Kira Lewis. I'm a big Kira Lewis guy. That's hmm. their draft from Alabama. I think he's pretty good. Lewis and Alexander Walker. I don't. I don't. I don't know if Lonzo or Bledsoe is the long term answer. And I think you're right, ultimately, with Zion. Like, with a lot of young big men, their development on defense kind of decides the ceiling of the team. Mm-hmm. Until, Lonzo, until, until Zion's ready to guard, then this team is really it's not going to go very far. Yeah, I, um, I'm out 
on the Pelicans. I think it's going to be going to be a problem for them all year. And I think, uh, yeah, it's great they have all these picks, but it uh, it's just going to be cramped, and their half court offense is going to continue to struggle. Um, is there like when you think about what Lonzo can still be at this point in his career? Um, is he still someone who could be a lead bald handler on a good team, or is he a is he old enough now? We've seen enough that he should be placed in the third combo guard type role, the third guy? Well, I mean, I think the lead ball handler, that's already gone. That's like, gone. We can pretty much write that. Like, we can pretty much write that one off. And then, like, theoretically, that's kind of I wrote about today in my piece, like, he should make sense in a third, fourth guard role, like a combo guard. But he's got to make shots. And more importantly, he has to make the defense respect his shot. And when they're, they're not doing that, Right, if you're just a shooter and you don't make shots, and you can't help the team any other way on offense. It's very difficult. Well, I have a solution. I, okay, which is what? So, Markel Fultz, another non-shooter. Michael Carter Williams, another non-shooter. There, if there was one team that's like, give me all the non-shooting guards who can defend, it's Orlando. They've lost six straight. They don't have Fultz for the season. Send Lonzo to Orlando. Get him back in the playoff chase. Oh, well, there you go. There's an idea. I don't know I what Orlando like would send also. over to... Uh, oh, I mean, you know, Fournier would actually be a better fit with uh, New Orleans than Lonzo. It'd be a much better fit. I don't think it's as clean because Markel's a slasher. And so they're really missing his slashing ability in Orlando. I don't Lonzo would really fill the hole there. But I, I like the idea of Lonzo probably... He might be a change of pace guard off the bench if his shot doesn't come around. I might be who he is. I don't know. So is that like... I don't even know. Is that uh, Kevin Dunn? Is that who he is at this point? Oh, Chris Dunn? Or Chris Dunn, yeah. Oh, let me let me look at it. I, give me a second. I'm going to go to the league and try to find a comp for him. I want, uh, this is going to be sad, whatever it is. Um, what, in your estimation, has changed for the Lakers' defense in the last few weeks? I don't know. I mean, I've been <laughs> defense all year, haven't they, basically? Well, the first couple weeks, Anthony Davis was kind of annoyed. I don't think they were number one the first couple weeks, but they've been up there, and now it just feels like they have found a different different thing. And it's interesting that LeBron's still going as hard as he is, and Davis is just a, a madman, and he's not having to play the five as much. Were you surprised that Harrell and Gasol have been clean replacements for Dwight and JaVale? A little. I figured... My, my thought was they would improve the offense at the cost of the defense. Yeah. Same that was my thought coming into the season. But they seem to have plugged right into their defensive game. It's been pretty impressive. Though we will see. I feel like the Lakers have not had the toughest schedule. Uh, let me look at it real quick. I remember opening night against the Clippers. The Clippers scored. The Clippers have the number one offense in the league, to be fair. But they scored pretty easy on them. The Warriors had a comeback the other night where they went small. Yeah, I'm looking at the Lakers' schedule, right? You're looking at, okay, Mavs when they're really bad, Timberwolves, Spurs twice, Grizzlies twice, Rockets twice. I think my suspicion is all these baseball series, it kind of makes it harder to steal out teams to start the season because your sample size is so skewed. Yeah. I, uh, I feel really good about my preseason first coach fired prediction, by the way. What's that? Ryan Saunders. That's not a bad call. I mean, Minnesota doesn't like spending money like that, but I would probably go Scott Brooks, but Toronto's a good call. How much of it is Scotty Brooks? Like, they're all injured. 
everybody's like scotty brooks is like in a bad situation he's like what am i supposed to do i have bradley beal and just nothing else like you and i have talked about this and the wizards um just have a really poorly constructed roster and troy brown not being a natural fit he got like a dmp cd the other day um yeah he, he got he's on the rotation at least before they got all those covid stuff this is bad like that's just and he's a good player just none of it fits like that the rui hachimura stuff like losing um thomas bryant for the year like uh, scotty brooks is probably gonna get fired but like i don't know how much of it it's really on him this year well how much of that is why coaches get fired right not yeah. really what is the that's what the money's for right you get you're getting fired when people feel like it so they make five million dollars a year <laughs> that is true that is true um do you believe the rockets with victor oladipo as motivated as he is the Rockets can make the playoffs this year in the West. I mean, it's definitely possible. I I, I want to see what this team looks like with all their like they. I mean, obviously they had the big trade, so we don't really know. Like, how is Oladipo and Wall going to fit together? I right? actually they like had a big game last night, but it, I guess whatever it was, it was it was Oladipo and Eric Gordon. To me, that makes a little more sense of the combination. It does or does not make sense. I think Gordon Gordon Oladipo makes more sense because Gordon can play off the ball. Well, you can do that, right? You can just stagger them in different ways. You can stagger Oladipo and Wall. Yeah. That's the question. They have the talent. I mean, there's a, there's plenty of talent in that team. Yeah, I I don't know. And I think also it, with the playoffs, right? It's ten it's ten teams now, technically. Technically, that's true. So, Did I'm you find the Lonzo comp? Oh, sorry, I got off track. Let me get a second on that. Lost track of. Um. You also wrote about the Nets and uh, the post-James Harden trade. I have a lot of thoughts on all that. Kyrie's coming back. Um, I said before the season, this is the pat myself on the back portion of this podcast with the Ryan Saunders and uh, Nets aspect of this podcast, uh, Jonathan. But um, I thought the Nets would win the East if Kevin Durant was healthy. And Kevin oh, before Durant. the Harden trade? Oh, before the Harden trade. Yeah, like I just, okay, yeah. I really don't believe anyone's beating them in a seven-game series. I think it's going to be so difficult to beat, it was already going to be extremely difficult to beat Kyrie and Kevin Durant in a four game series and a seven game series, beat them four times. Now with Harden, just you're not beating this team in a seven game series. Like you're just, you're just not. Like I think the Lakers should be the favorite still, or the Clippers will be really close. I would, I'm actually really hoping for a Clippers Nets finals. That would be really cool to see. But I, I, I just, I don't think people are overthinking it. It's just uh, how I looked at it. It's like, oh, the Bucks can still, no, the Bucks are not beating the Nets in a, a seven-game series. That's just not happening, especially with this group. And people are worried, like, oh, DeAndre Jordan's only playing 12 minutes a night and they don't really have any backup fives. I'm like, uh, uh, what are we doing? But they'll, they'll find somebody. They'll find some Dwayne Dedman or something. Like, they, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll find a way around it. Um, I'm not concerned. Kevin Durant looks amazing, which is just my favorite story of the year. And, uh, yeah, the Nets, they're, they're really good, and I don't think they're beatable in the East. I mean... It's just those first two games. It's like I feel like I feel like when I was watching the not that they're the same kind, but like type of team, but like watching the first year of the LeBron Wade Heat, and you're just not even sure what to expect because the town is so crazy, and we've never really seen anything like it before. And you just watch, like you're just watching Harden. Are you looking to remember the first year of the Heat team? You oh yeah, for game. sure. Okay, yeah, and it's just like this team with the Nets. This level of talent has never been on the same team together in terms of three guys with this kind of offensive ability and the ability to score from all over the court to play off and on each other. 
it's just so easy. Like Hardman Durant, it's it just looks it's like the Bucks are a great defense. They made it look just so easy to score on them. It was remarkable. And if you're the Bucks, you just gotta feel like yeah, you got Giannis locked in now, but there's no solution to this talent. Like there's just no solution to the talent drop off. Like Drew Holiday and Chris well, Middleton are not there. The solution is you gotta actually use Giannis on defense. Did you notice in that game he guarded DeAndre and Jeff Green the whole time? I did not. Like what the heck is the point of that? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. If you got this seven foot monster, have them guard their best players. At least make life harder for KD and Harden. Like they had Middleton on KD. KD's like half the taller. Doesn't make a difference. Put someone on height on and run with them and see what happens. So when you say that the the Nets are playing space age basketball, what do you mean? Just in terms of like skill set of their top players. I, I think like I, what I'm thinking about is like I expect in like five to ten years, like the next generation of players, I I would assume they're all be three level scorers, right? Like the best probably, like you know, um, I think the the guy considered the best player right now in high school is Emily Bates. He's like a six nine kid who can shoot off dribble threes, gets the rim. I would expect like the, the best fifth grader in the world when he's in high school would be a three level scorer, and like. And the top teams in the NBA in five or ten years, they'll be stacking these, this kind of offensive talent on top. Does that make sense? On top of each other? Because right now in the NBA, even the best players aren't very many three-level scorers. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I just feel like this next team is a lot, in a lot of ways kind of what the future is going to look like. Like I just expect offenses to get much, much better over the next five or ten years. And we're, we're so- Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, kind of the first taste of that. Yeah, I, uh, I just, I'm glad we're on the same page here because there, I was listening to some takes like, ah, oh, I'm still a little nervous. I don't know. I feel like, uh, there's still some like, oh, the, the, the Kings are fine. The, the Nets are unbe- unguardable. They are 100% unguardable. Um, yeah, I wonder with the Nets, I feel like all the, all, cause like, I feel like the logic of what people are saying, like, it makes sense logically, right? Well, you can, there's only one ball. They got to play defense, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yes, but. These guys are just so skilled. Those kind of thought processes no longer really hold. I feel like this is kind of a paradigm shifting thing. Yeah, I I don't know. It seems possible. Um, what's ailing the Hawks? Playing 500 basketball, I was told that everything was great to start the season, that things are actually awesome, and uh, Trey Young is an MVP candidate. Um it turns out the Hawks are basically where I thought they were going to be coming into the year, which was like around 500, fighting for the eight seed, the playing game. I, I just thought it was going to be with the Wizards, and the Wizards are very much not going to be in that playing game. Sweepstakes, it looks like. Um, injuries are a part of this. Uh, the biggest thing when you watch the Hawks, like everything about the Hawks this year is so fascinating because Trey is going to piss people off. Um, Trey, the way he plays, is not going to age well teams around the league are going to get very frustrated players around the league are going to get very frustrated with him um how he draws fouls is insane like yeah the foul stuff people are are getting pretty upset with that foul stuff for sure but it's smart like it's a smart thing that he's doing like it's it's smart it's a it's within the rules it's just uh 
going to piss people off for a long time. And I don't think he's just going to tone that down when he's getting to the line as much as he is. Like, that's just part of his game now. Um, Herder's healthy, which is good. But, you and then DeAndre Hunter, you and I were pretty low he's on. Great. He's been fantastic. Like, I didn't think this was in him. And that's a huge development for, for the Hawks. Huge win. Reddish looks good, too. That being said, John Collins, I think he's like plus 13 per 100 possessions when he's on the floor for the Hawks. He's The Hawks are, I forgot what they are down, but it's a it's a pretty spicy negative differential when he's sitting. Um, however, when you watch Capella and John Collins, and I think you and I have talked about this, especially in closing moments, like these two just cannot play together. The whole point of, and maybe KOC mentioned this on Twitter too, where you watch these pick and rolls with Collins and Trey, which just works all the time. But then you have Capella just sitting there inside too, clogging things up because he has nowhere to go. He's not spacing the floor. He has to sit inside too. So when you run that pick and roll with Collins and Trey, there's not as much room for Collins to operate inside as he had with Dwayne Dedman inside. Like Dwayne Dedman was such a better fit for the Hawks, and this was my biggest concern with trading for Capella, was that like if you're going to trade with, for Capella, then you've got to move Collins. You cannot have these two um, long-term. And then with the contract stuff with Collins, you're like, okay, well, then it's probably Collins. But then you look at how good the team is with Collins on the floor versus when he's not, and you're like, are you really going to pick Capella over Collins? Are you sure about that? Um, but then you have the report that Collins doesn't enjoy playing basketball with Trey and that uh, they're cool off the court, but uh, on the court, he's like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to play with this guy anymore. So there's is all kinds of stuff. Trey gets in so many buckets, right? It's just not intuitive. I mean, I guess you kind of get it, but you also feel like, they should have pretty good chemistry together after all these years of pick and rolling. I think it's because he sees himself more as a ball handler than anyone else is like, mm, I don't think you need the ball in your hands. I think he really wants to bring the ball up. I think he wants to do more at the top of the key. I want. I think he just wants to orchestrate the offense more and not be known as like the Amari Stoudemire guy. I mean, do you think he has the passing chops for that? No. I mean, I guess... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you. Like, I was so excited for the Hawks when they beat the Nets. I'm like, all right, this is starting to come together. Travis Schlenk's mad, mad plan is starting to fall into place, and it just all kind of crumbled. Do you think it's just injuries? I mean, because they are playing some – well, no no Gallinari, no Bogdanovich. I guess no Chris Dunn. Ronald's been out for a while. Is it that simple, or, what, or is there more – are there deeper structural issues, do you think? I just think they're going to have to make some very tough decisions. Like, the offense isn't been that great. Like, I think they're 15th in offense at the moment. So, the defense is much improved. I just, it's a lot of new pieces, but there's still just too much talent for them to be as inconsistent as they are. And it's a too many guys thing. And I, I don't know, man. I think injuries are obviously a big part of it, but the Trey stuff is concerning. And also... Trey Young thinks he's Steph Curry still. Like, that stuff is still ingrained in him, and he has taken some bad threes. And that's the more annoying thing about Trey at this point is that no one sat him down and been like, hey, you're not a good shooter. Like, you're you're an you're okay shooter, shooter, but you're not a great shooter. And I'm going to pull up, what is Trey shooting this year? And that's, like, the quiet part. That no one's talking. Are, he's shooting 27% down, from three. 27%. But also his attempts are way down. It's just, you know, I guess that's part of having more talent on your team. But on the flip side, DeAndre Hunter shooting the same amount of threes, five a game, he's shooting 40% from three. And you look at uh, Herter, 35 league average. Bogdan was shooting 36. Solomon Hill was playing pretty solid minutes for them. I mean, to be fair, those guys would play all catch and shoot threes, right? Versus Trey's or your 
off the dribble three. Yeah. But I also just really do believe that if Trey isn't going to be shooting that poorly from deep, like the offense being 15th sounds about right because they're the, the shooters they do have have been out. And then you look at um, what they're doing from deep and it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is not good. I think they're, yeah, they're 24th in effective field goal percentage in the league. They're, um, they don't really force any turnovers on defense. They're really good foul drawing team though. Like that's the coolest thing about watching the Hawks this year is like, they're all really good at drawing fouls and they're attacking and driving and kicking. And it's been fun. It's a fun brand of basketball, but they're just, they're just average. And um, Trey, I, I really do think Trey is actually kind of really struggling with how many pieces are now around him, how many quality pieces are around him and figuring out how to do that and how to make sure that Hunter is getting his touches, that Collins is getting his touches, that Capella yeah. is getting his touches. It's and a I whole think, different responsibility. For right. Cause if you watch the Hawks last year, it was before. Trey. Yeah. I'm doing everything. And that was my concern is like Trey literally was put in a position where he's like, I have Alex Lynn and uh, Brandon Goodwin and the corpse of Jeff Teague around me. I have to go do everything for us to even be in basketball games. And now they're like, no, we actually have a nine guys who can play and are competent NBA players. Figure it out. Well, that's kind of like, the whole Luca Trey thing, because Luca has that same thing where he is most comfortable doing everything all the time. He's just so big that he can get away with that, right? It's like learning how to play off the ball is a skill that I don't think either. I, I call Luca sometimes to say he has like hardened brain, like hardened disease in yes. his brain. We're like Luca won't even take catch two threes when they're available to him. It's like so boring. He's like, no, I dribble the ball. <laughs> I don't, I don't catch the ball. I dribble it. I pass to someone else. And to like unlearn that behavior. And you wonder with Trey was like the whole Atlanta thing. Was that really the best spot for him looking back on it to have the team built around? Did it just reinforce some of his bad habits, right? Those first two years. And now he has to unlearn them in real time with a lot of players around him. You know, that old John Collins story. He wanted his, he wanted his shots. He wanted his touches. Mm. We'll see what happens. You know, all these guys want the ball. And he has to kind of learn how to manage that in real time. It's not going to be, I guess, I think I, I think I underestimated Travis Schlenk definitely did, but you're right. It's a different kind of mental challenge than just jack and shot. Yep. Yep. Better blow it up choice. Raptors or wizards? Well, I mean, I think wizards easily. They have like one good player. I mean, it's not even a question. It's over. Where do you think Bill goes? That is the interesting question, right? Because you've got to ask, I'm assuming if you're the Wizards, right? Either, well, I guess there's two lines of thought. Either the Wizards just say, we'll take Ben Simmons, and he goes to Philly, or they say, we want the draft picks, like the Rockets did. And then it's like, well, who wants to give up six draft picks? I don't know. My guess is, knowing the Wizards, they'll take the proven prospect, and he'll be in Philly. I'd be my guess. I think it's going to be Miami. The Miami makes the most sense to me. But also, do you think your Dallas Mavericks get in, get involved? Problem for Miami and Dallas is they have picks out. Yeah. I think both teams have two picks out. So it's hard to create that kind of portfolio of picks. If you're not going to trade a Ben Simmons, you kind of have to have the portfolio. So I think I'd say maybe even like a Denver. Because Denver's got Porter and all their picks. That'd be a team to look out for. I don't really like him in Denver. Player. That's not what Denver needs. Yeah, I mean, him and Murray would seem like they're a little... Yeah, Denver needs, I would think, more bigger athletic defenders. Yes. But that'd be a team with the personnel, with the pieces to make trade for him. 
it's you, you kind of have to reverse engineer and say who's willing to trade six picks for a guy who's desperate enough to just go all in like that because that's the going price now it's six seven draft picks it's crazy it's not good um what is oh, picking... I have, I have uh, yes Tom for you by the way okay um Thomas Thomas Fadaransky. Uh, <laughs> Right, six seven. Yeah, you know, bomb. You know, point guard. I Santa was good. Remember that uh, playoff series? This actually was this Grunfeld or was this Brooks who just like brought in Ty Lawson from China and put him in the playoff rotation over Sadaransky for whatever reason. Oh yes, I remember that. It was like ridiculous. I I, I remember Sadaransky. He was part of that every everybody eats team. Yes, wall was out. Yes, and then they pulled him from the rotation altogether and put in Ty Lawson. That was a thing that happened. Oh, yeah. That was a thing. Those those wizards were not exactly known for their imagination in those years. No, no. Um, what is clicking the Utah Jazz? And we'll wrap up here. Well, I would say Utah's doing the Utah thing, what they always do. Really, they got. I mean, they brought the whole team back from last year. They run the same system. They have the same stuff. I guess Conley's a year a year more in their system. He's probably more comfortable. That's probably the main difference. But to me, Utah's the same thing they've been for a couple of years now. They just kind of continuity, run their stuff, spreading the floor, go bare at the rim, same as all of Yeah, it's just like no young guys. Like, that's the thing when I watch them, I'm like, oh, these are all competent veterans. Like, this whole team now is just competent yeah. veterans. Like, that's their rotation. Everyone's in their role. Like, everyone's got a pretty precise role designed specifically for them, right? Like, Donovan, Mike's the point guard, Bojan's the stretch four, Royce three and D, Clarkson six man. It's all pretty well put together in terms of the roles. And Mitchell shooting better, shooting thirty eight percent from three. Um, yeah, he's the youngest player in the rotation. Like it is Royce O'Neal twenty seven, Gobert twenty eight, Bo- uh, Bojan thirty one, Conley thirty three, Clarkson twenty eight, Ingles thirty three, Favors twenty nine, and Yang twenty seven. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a veteran team trying to win now, and I think regular season wise they should be. They might get a top two, three seed when it's all said and done. I think so. I think so. All right, Jonathan. Well, that's all I've got. Uh, what uh, what should we look out from you in the coming weeks at the Ringer? Oh, so uh, we actually launched a new podcast last week. Uh, me, KOC, and Kyle Mann. It'll be on every other Wednesday. It's called Ringer NBA University on the Ringer NBA show. We'll talk more about like young players, first, second, third year. Like last week, we did a big thing on Wiseman and Halliburton. We'll talk about, yeah, prospects to draft. I'm pretty excited for it. And every other Wednesday. All right. Um, so Tennessee, Texas, who who do you believe in more in uh, college basketball this year? Texas. We got some. We got some players this year at Texas. Man. Oh, well, hold we on, hold real, on. Matt McClung. He, you might match up with him again uh, down the road. Hey, don't disrespect the great Matt McClung. Dude, he, he is, is he fantastic. Is he's must-see television. Like, that guy. I, I love that guy. He's a new... What's it, remember, remember Marshall Henderson? Oh, I, do I remember Marshall Henderson? Current assistant coach Marshall Henderson, mind you. Where is he coaching? Uh, I'm pretty sure he's at Ole Miss. Oh, wow. This, good on him. Good on him. Yeah, that's just... You know. Happen. But I think he's actually better than Marshall Henderson. Like, I think uh, McClung is just a crazier shooter than Marshall Henderson. But I, I do love it. He's like the likable version where he's not trying to piss people off. He's just having a good time. And also his stink face was pretty pretty great. And him just running away from an interview uh, an interview against Texas. A, a game that, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, the Red Raiders won. It's a long season. <laughs> Texas got some 
Watch out for this guy in Texas, our backup big man, named Kai Jones. Mm-hmm. He's a player. Guys, I think he'll be like, I think he'll be a lottery pick when it's all said and done. He is legit lottery talent. Watch out for that guy. You heard it here first. Jonathan, thank you as always, good sir, and uh, stay safe out there. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. That was fun. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.